The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William DeBiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic, and people call me Whitney Seibold. Because that mm-hmm. is a good name. Well, uh, my parents certainly thought so. Yeah, apparently. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is the show where we review TV series that lasted one season or less. I already said that, but might as well say it twice. Whitney, stop knocking things over. Oh, but it's so much fun. We're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> we make so many podcasts. Um, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we were supposed to do the Christian Slater series, My Own Worst Enemy, uh, in which he plays a guy who doesn't realize that he's also a spy. Uh, he, he plays two characters. Uh-huh. Their names are Henry and Edward. Hmm. As in Those Dr. Nice Henry names. Jekyll ah. and Mr. Edward McGillicuddy. Yep. I mean Hyde. No, we get it. It's funny. It's And it won't, won't have been... I think that's maybe like the fourth time we've had a Jekyll and Hyde show. Oh. Or special. We've done quite a few. Too soon. We've done quite a few. They're a popular mm. thing. And there's several we haven't got to yet. Uh, but uh, long story short... Uh, Whitney couldn't get the DVDs back to me yeah, in time. The, the, the week got away from me, and I apologize for that. But we didn't want to do, we didn't want to like go a week without a show. So we'll do my own worst enemy next week, and this week we wanted to do at the very least a failed pilot. And there is no shortage of failed pilots. Most pilots fail. Mm-hmm. There's actually like a if you if we could go to the archives of every TV station, every TV network there ever was, there would be such a treasure trove. Of ideas that, you know, sometimes they're great. We've had yeah. some really wonderful failed pilots on this show. And sometimes you just like, yeah, there's a reason that one didn't work. Um, but yeah, it's this whole... People worked really hard and they wrote scripts and they hired actors and people thought this was going to be their big break and their next big thing. And um, people were taking big chances. And yeah, sometimes they don't get so, they don't get shown at all. Sometimes they aired as TV movies, which is the case of the show that we're doing this week. Well, they put all this money into making these pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, they weren't going to series, but yeah, now they had two hours worth of TV. I, I feel like they don't do that anymore, and mm. I feel like the reason why is because now with there's like social media and stuff, they like can, they can get immediate feedback. Yeah, like what if we find out we we just we we didn't put run these three pilots and we figured screw it, let's put them on CBS All Access or whatever mm. just for fun, so people will have a little extra content. And then there's a letter writing campaign that says you fucking idiots. That was like True. the best reboot of Murder She Wrote you could have possibly had. <laughs> Bring it back, and they're like, no, we fired everybody, and now they're doing other shows. And also, we look. Ba- I, I sometimes I think it's only to save face. But who the hell knows? It might also be to save face because if it does suck, yeah. they don't want to get them out there as something that they spend well, money on. I've also noticed uh, in in the modern age, pilot like people will get second seasons based on advance word. 
Like before the, before the it first season even airs, they're talking about, oh, you know what? Reaction has been so positive. We feel very confident to the advertising yeah. the advertising of a show that hasn't even aired yet. That we're we're going to go ahead and put money into a second season, and I feel like more money into bigger projects is the current TV mold. Now that being said, uh, things can go wrong. Like mm. there, I've seen shows, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but I've seen shows. That got like picked up for like a full season, and then six episodes later, they were just like, "Oh no, ratings suck." Yeah, yeah. They were gonna go back on this. Or, or these reasons or, why not is the yeah. prime example. Or of we, that. or we, or we, they uh, thought, "Oh, but this is so popular, we're gonna do it for we, we already have it for season two, and then season one ends, and they're like, "Yeah, not so much." Hmm. Um, so, it, like we said at the beginning of the episode, at the beginning of every episode, uh, the history of TV is a history of failure, but failures are interesting. Failures mean you tried, and I love uncovering them, and this is a show that we're talking about this week that I've been meaning to get to for a while, because as soon as I heard about it and, you know, found out, like, who was in it, I was like, oh, that sounds terrible, we gotta do that, Hmm. and, um, surprise! (laughs) Let's talk about the 1979 failed TV pilot for a show called Samurai. Monday, a special ABC movie double feature. First, Beach Patrol, the best beat in the world. But not for the lady cop who knows the drug king's secret. Somebody in that department is setting you up. Then, Samurai. The Superman of martial arts battles a madman who wants to destroy San Francisco with an earthquake machine. After Beach Patrol. Tomorrow, starting at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on ABC. Now, this is not Samurai Cop. No. Samurai Cop is an excellent movie, by the way. Well, let's not go nuts. It's a very entertaining movie. It's a very entertaining movie. It's, it's also ro- not... Robert Zadar, yeah. uh, super-duper low-budget. You've probably heard of it. it ma- it's made heavily heavy rotation in like the cult movie circuit for it's a while. It's a cult film. There's even a sequel yeah. because the cult following was so big. Yeah, um, but I haven't seen the sequel because they made it years after the fact, mm-hmm. like in reaction to the first one, and... The first one just has that weird, bizarro magic to it. Well, the first one happened by accident. Yeah. The second you one, you're trying to make you, it weird. I mean, it might be do fun, some, I don't know. But, but you can't do something like Samurai Cop on purpose. Uh, 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 well, we haven't seen it, so we don't but, know, but that's our suspicion. Uh, Samurai is not Samurai Cop. Samurai is Samurai Lawyer. Yeah! It's, it sounds like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Uh, by the way, I apologize uh, for the clip that we used, because uh, I would also love to also be reviewing Beach Patrol. Was it... Beach Patrol or no? What was it? Was it Beach Patrol or Beach Squad? Beach. Oh. <laughs> Be- it was Beach Patrol. Was beach right. Patrol. Yeah, it was yeah. Beach Patrol. And uh, or yeah, was it Beat Patrol. And like the whole like if you look at that like uh, commercial, mm. uh, you'll see it's just like people driving dune buggies on the beach and stuff. It looks awesome. Uh, we're having trouble tracking that one down. We're totally gonna do that someday if we can. Uh, but yeah, Samurai Lawyer. Uh, <laughs> God, this stupid show. Okay, Sam, th- imagine it's a combination of Daredevil, mm-hmm. who is superhero lawyer. And, and l- also lawyer, kind lawyer of a ninja. By, yeah, law- yeah, lawyer by day, yeah, acrobatic ninja by night, mm-hmm. who wears red devil costume for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And Buckaroo Banzai, in that he's a Westerner that we're trying to sort of push Eastern culture into the hands of. I'm knocking this over again. Stop knocking that over. Sorry, Same sorry. thing every time. Anyway, uh, yeah, so our, our so the show, 
get the basics out of the way. Mm-hmm. Samurai uh, aired on April 30th, 1979 on ABC. Uh, near as I can tell, although records are a little spotty, it probably aired opposite the Miss USA pageant that year. Oh, geez. Uh, who won that year? Mary Therese Friel from Pittsford, New York. I hope she's doing well. Uh, same. Anyway, that's, I found the information. I thought I'd give it to you. <laughs> what do you want right. from me? Um, and, and, and this is also not to be confused with G.I. Samurai, which mm-hmm. is a, another samurai, a, Ch- a Sunny Chiba film that was released that same year. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Lee Katzen, who has a very thorough like filmography oh, oh golly well and he's not just he's not just a tv veteran although he is that mm-hmm. he worked on a lot of different shows he's also the director of le mans if you ever saw the the movie with the feature steve film McQueen. with steve mcqueen yep. uh yeah back in the 70s he did several feature films uh films like uh, the finks mm-hmm. we're just talking i was just telling you about the finks and my experience of seeing it uh here in los angeles at the cine family and how it was curated by Patton Oswalt, and how the climax of the movie is full of all of these really bizarre celebrity cameos from a generation hence, people like Edgar Bergen and Butterfly McQueen and Johnny Weissmuller and Richard Pryor, and uh, how Patton Oswalt, in the middle of this uh, massive cameo where all of these celebrities are being paraded in front of the camera, clearly all past their prime, uh, Pat Oswald just sort of screamed out of the middle of nowhere, out of the chaos in his soul. What is happening? <laughs> this guy directed the Finks. Nice. Uh, it was written by Gerald Ludwig and Gerald Ludwig has two Emmy awards for editing. Didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> okay. He's, a, he's an accomplished editor. He also he also wrote a ton of stuff. He wrote for MacGyver. He wrote for Murder, She Wrote. Uh, he wrote... Yeah, he did. He wrote the 1987 made-for-TV remake of Roman Holiday, starring Catherine Oxenberg, Tom Conti, and Ed Begley Jr. I like Catherine Oxenberg. I've been trying to find this damn movie for so long. (laughs) I love this weird subgenre of TV movies where they just remake famous movies but not as good. Mm -hmm. And we already did that with It's a Wonderful Life. uh, There was once we did What's Wonderful Life and we did it with uh, when we covered Miracle on 34th Street. That's right. We did that as well. Uh, But uh, yeah, there's a whole wonderful subgenre of Mm. just Kinda half-assed made-for-TV remakes of classic cinema. Look, t- American television in the 1970s was—I mean, we we rag on kids' TV in the 80s all the mm-hmm. time, but you know, you look at some of the adult programming, and, and it was interesting. Yeah. And there was good stuff to come out of the 1970s as well. But there was this weird propensity to like celebrity it up, mm-hmm. like take something really familiar and just. Add a celebrity just, who's yeah, kind of big a, now, a, a or kind or of a recently. yeah, and I I feel like Circus of the Stars came up at around this time. Yeah. It's like who can we get, and what flimsy excuse can we come up with to put them all on screen together? So let's make Circus of the Stars. It's a circus with famous people who are not known for performing in the circus, and you can trace a direct line from Circus of the Stars straight into the Star Wars Holiday Special. The sort of we're gonna get Diane Carroll, and we're gonna get. Be Arthur, and we're gonna get Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, but this is a Star Wars thing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We just who, who can we get? Whoever we can get, we will get them. So the cast of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, we got all them. Yeah, but we also got 
Carrie, Carrie Fisher's a little drunk. What well, doesn't matter? Doesn't we matter. We got Jefferson Starship, mm-hmm. who will just be Jefferson Starship. They play themselves. They've got Starship in the name. We figure they're probably canon. <laughs> well, they are now. Yeah, well, that's true. When are they coming back, Disney? <laughs> I want a what? whole Jefferson Starship movie. It'd be funny if they get like Starship lookalikes to play the young Starship in oh the Star, Star Wars canon. You know, what I just realized we've never really thought of mm. is because like, we're doing that whole podcast episode zero where we're talking about the prehistory of Star Wars, mm. and we've talked about the prehistory of like multiple films in the franchise so far. We haven't really talked about the prehistory of the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> Put Circus of the Stars on we, there. We'll we do might that. Have yeah. to. <laughs> God. Anyway, we're off on a tangent. Uh, samurai stars as the samurai. The samurai lawyer. Yeah. Uh, whose His origin is uh, he's half Japanese, half American. Mm. Uh, his mom is uh, part of like a long running like rich family in Japan. And his dad was, I think, a soldier. And uh, dad, I believe, is dead now. Dad is dead now. Dad is dead now. But he's, he's being... Re- I got the impression he was sort of raised by his sensei as well. Yeah. And uh, Joe Penny is not half Japanese. He, he is as Japanese as Peter Weller. Yeah. It's, mm. um, it's not cool, actually. The, uh, At the this... very least, when we covered the master mm. with, uh, uh, um, Lee, um, not Lee Iacocca. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have that been something? Lee Merriweather. <laughs> not, Lee, Lee, not Lee Marvin. Lee, you can do it. Uh, I almost had Lee, Lee Marvin. Lee Majors. Lee, Lee, <laughs> Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> Lee Vivian. Okay, Lee Van Cleef. So close. Lee, at, least in, at least when we covered The Master, we tired Lee Van Cleef as a ninja teaching like a young teenager how to be a ninja. They never pretended Lee Van Cleef was Japanese. They, he was an American yeah. who went to Japan and learned martial arts. Yeah, what little credit we can give that show. At mm. the very least, they never pretended. No. Here, yeah, um, no, no. It's, so it's called Samurai, and it's predicated on this, uh, the, fr- frankly, very racist notion that we saw in a lot of American media f- mm. for way too long, this sort of exotic, uh, exoticization mm-hmm. of Eastern cultures, of, yes. of Asian cultures, uh, where, yeah, wh- whenever you needed, like, a, a cursed artifact or a, a magical elixir, you always went to Chinatown to get it. That's, gremlins. Yeah, gremlin, that's a, Gremlins yeah. is a prime example of that. You yeah. Know, well, what somebody says something in Gremlins, like at the beginning of the movie, where he's like in Chinatown and he's in the old man's shop. Uh, Billy Pelter's dad is in the shop. Yeah, I can't remember the scene. Very and he well, says right? something, and there's like a gong sound effect. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah. yeah, that that was really common. Tacky. Yeah, uh, and they, they, they there was an, an offensive uh, Japanese stereotype in the police academy movies. Who, at the very mm-hmm. least, they empowered the character, but he was a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people are looking back at a lot of the uh, sort of portrayals that. Yeah, people complained at the time, but they were mostly shouted down by a mm. lot of audiences, mostly white audiences, saying, but we like it, like mm. the Goonies. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so this is also coming in the late 70s when America was still pretty high on, I mean, Bruce Lee had been dead for several years now, but... but his, his movies were still big in the consciousness. His movies were still popular. It took a while for his films to sort yeah. of enter rotation. The 1970s, a lot of kung fu movies were starting to... Uh, flood American, uh, mostly grindhouse theaters, smaller mm-hmm. theaters, um, and starting to do pretty big business. And it raised a lot of interest in stories either directly from or inspired by uh, various mm-hmm. other cultures. We had Kung Fu on television, and I assume Samurai was probably a yeah, lot of people yeah. saying, well, Kung Fu was a hit. Can we do that with, like, instead of 
like a kung fu master can we go through like japanese culture and make him a ninja does anyone care about ninjas yet it's 1979 no okay samurai it is yeah ninja ninjas didn't really enter the lexicon until canon films really kind of presented yeah. them they, they, they were always a thing and you can yeah, find the, earlier the, like kung yeah. fu movies and, and japanese movies about them but like, the word ninja appears in films uh i, I did some research into this at one point because yeah. uh, i was i did a commentary track for ninja 3 the domination nice trying to figure out where ninjas kind of started because they seemed to be really big when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, beyond the Ninja Turtles, just they were all around. Yeah, Ninja Turtles was already commenting on the popularity of ninja yeah. stuff. And yes, yeah, as, as far as I can, like there were films in the 1940s that used ninja. Sure. But ninjas as sort of a pop culture phenomenon in America didn't really take off until the early 1980s. And it was thanks almost exclusively to the canon group. With films like American Ninja and Enter the Ninja. Exactly. Um, some of those movies are fun. Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, and Ninja 3 The Domination are all insanely entertaining movies. Yeah. Not, Emph- not, <laughs> none, of the, none of them are good, by the way. No. They're all actually quite bad movies, but wow, are they fun they're, to watch. They're Especially that third one. Oh my God, Ninja 3 is one of the weirdest damn movies of the 80s. Uh, and I, think about that statement. <laughs> I've seen is, a lot. This is the, the era that gave us the Garbage Pail Kids movie and ninja three weirder ninja three the domination is really bizarre yeah this ghost of a dead ninja evil ninja warrior uh-huh. takes possession of the body of a modern day aerobics instructor uh she, she's she's an aerobics instructor i think she's also a telephone repair woman she is she's all she's yeah. a line woman for the county and uh the the ninja takes over her body sometimes through an arcade cabinet when she's not busy mm-hmm. having sex with a cop uh y- using v8 yeah like the really like a sexy it's like this weird like, sort of health thing no yeah like I'm gonna pour V8 on my neck and you're gonna lick it off kind of thing and it's just like that's not as sexy as you think it is I wouldn't want to do that in the shower that's well it just doesn't look sexy V8 is not a sexy looking drink no (laughs) looks like blood's been watered down like I'm I'm not gonna judge anyone who likes it but it looks not Mm. sexy I don't know maybe it's just me is it just me is everyone else grooving on V8 Hard, hard to say uh, anyway, Samurai, uh, we're not talking about Samurai because Samurai is kind of boring. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, uh, most of most of this TV movie is set up. It's sort of yeah. setting up the premise before it gets to the story, which only happens about halfway through. And it's one of those movies where because it takes so long mm-hmm. for the guy who's supposed to like be a samurai vigilante in modern day San Francisco, uh, that they have to add stuff to the beginning just to promise you that yeah we'll get there and there opens with an action sequence of the samurai fighting some dudes in the middle of the night and yeah okay a lot of tv shows from like 70s and mm. the 80s haven't been curated very well and the only way you can find them are on like third generation vhs or something yeah, yeah. So a lot of times we're watching movies that clearly would have looked better when they first came out, even on an older television set. And we're seeing like a lot of like digital washout. And Mm. um, even so, the opening of Samurai is so poorly lit. (laughs) There are like long chunks where like I if something happened, I had to just Mm. sort of. Take it on faith. Really? Yeah, I, I assume whatever I'm supposed to be looking at is interesting right I, now, and I and I assume that for a minute I'm looking at this basically black screen, and I'm thinking to myself, 
oh, there's probably a guy like sneaking around doing cool samurai mm-hmm. stuff. And then like in the distance, I saw headlights coming in and I'm like, we were looking at an empty street for 20 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> what were you doing? I, I do appreciate Like, had we seen this, you know, on a good quality television when it was first broadcast in 1979, we wouldn't have seen much more. Uh, this I'll came say a from, little bit more. It's uh, been may, a little clearer, maybe. But I remember watching TV shows and actually kind of remarking to myself at one point that compared to the movies I was seeing at the time, which is probably like the late eighties, mm-hmm. night scenes in the late eighties were all blue. They put a blue filter on, mm-hmm. or they shot everything with blue gels, or they lit things from like weird angles. Everything was really bright at nighttime. Yeah, that was, and that then was you the look facade, at yeah. you look a decade earlier. You look at a night scene, pitch dark. Yeah, you can't. I don't think they do that anymore. They don't just shoot in a Some, dark room anymore. Sometimes they do it on purpose. I remember uh, listening to the commentary track. I think for the Grifters. Okay, uh, which is one of those movies where at night it's just mm. gone. And I think it was Stephen Frears did that movie, yeah. Memory Series. And he was talking about how, yeah, we were doing a kind of a noirish film and we really wanted to emphasize it. And we thought, well, let's try it. Mm. You can argue that it works or it doesn't work. I've seen people do it well, seen people do it badly. Shooting at night's always a bit of a crapshoot because if you put too much light on anything, well, mm. it's you're already like being unrealistic. Yeah. So, uh, but like when Lord of the Rings just did that shooting blue on everything, mm. that had been done before. It had been done before. Yeah. I, it's not a look I'm particularly fond of. No, but I, what uh, I hate is um, so uh, when it's my my least favorite thing about Mad Max Fury Road, all the night scenes are just pitch blue. Eh. Um, His pitch is blue. I can live with that. But well, uh, but uh, so there's a process called day for night. I don't know if everyone uh, mm. is familiar with it. Um, and the idea is it's hard to shoot at night. Sometimes you don't have the lighting necessary to shoot at night. So what you do is you shoot during the day and like you you. Uh, you, you sort of there's a lot of process but basically you dim the camera so there's not so much lights going into the camera so everything looks darker mm-hmm. and you can get away with this so long as you can't see the sky because no matter how dim everything is if the sky is bright blue we know it's not night mm-hmm. I have seen so many otherwise good movies do this shit it always pisses me off and i always think to myself it, lo- it looks cheap it's it doesn't really look cheap. it looks like it's day it just mm. looks like it's a cloudy day or maybe like whoever's perspective i'm viewing the film from is just wearing like light sunglasses like that's it like mm. it never works but the sometimes the contrast is if you do the opposite you just can't see a damn thing but so anyways, there's a little bit of action and then there's like a whole sequence at the beginning of the movie where nothing is happening. We're completely breaking the fourth wall and we're just getting, I think it's uh, uh, James Shigeta uh, who plays um, our hero's samurai instructor. It's just him talking to the audience, like literally just looking right at the camera and says, this guy is, here's this guy. His dad was American. His mom was Japanese. He was trained in samurai stuff for a really long time. Now he's a lawyer in San Francisco. And later on, he'll be a samurai. And it's really cool. But for now, just sit back. This is going to be a generic lawyer show for the next hour. Yeah. Uh, so. It's going to be so generic. So, if, if, dear listener, if I were to put to you, what kind of story just off the top of your head, yeah. would you come up with for a, the story for a show about a lawyer who's secretly a samurai? Okay. Got it in my head. Okay. Just imagine the guy's in a courtroom. Yep. He's clearly guilty. Uh-huh. He gets off on a technicality and he goes out into the world and now the samurai has to hunt him down. Yep. 
That's the story of Samurai. <laughs> Basically, yes. Yeah. Except you still have to come up with beyond that. Mm. What's the crime? What did they do that was so sinister, uh, that was so this. corrupt, mm. that the legal system failed, and the guy has to resort not just to vigilante justice, but to samurai justice? Samurai justice also would have been a better title. Also, samurai is not a vigilante. Samurais are, are like they're courtesans or not courtesans. What? They're, uh, <laughs> they're courtiers. They they serve the royalty. Yeah, I mean, they, they there's also a, they, they there's also gig. masterless samurai, uh, yeah, but well, they they still looking for people to pay them to do exactly. Things. Yeah, so they're warriors for hire. They're not just yeah. freelance vigilantes. Well, listen, no one's going to accuse the 1979 failed TV pilot of Samurai of knowing too much about Japanese culture. <laughs> um, so the movie uh, uh, kicks off with uh, a police sting operation. They are keeping an eye on uh, uh, a warehouse. And then four guys break into the warehouse, and the cops like, "Aha! We got you! You're warehouse thieves! You were gonna steal the warehouse!" And the guys are like, "No, we're drunk." Cut to the next day, they're in court, and they've got a lawyer who's basically just saying, "Yeah, they weren't stealing stuff. They were just drunk and breaking into warehouses, you know, like, like Americans yeah, do. Like you do." Yeah, and the judge is just like, "Well, you're pleading guilty to a misdemeanor. I guess that means it's fine." And the uh, the old guy who owns the warehouse is just like damn it right. he he's perpetually just defeated that guy yeah he reminded me of Gil from The Simpsons yeah like everything is going awful he's like been working he's been running this warehouse for probably like fifty years <laughs> and um, he's just like yeah you can't fight them they're working for a corporation me 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 and um, samurai uh, samurai lawyer. Uh, he isn't even involved in this case. No, he's just in the room when it's happening. He was doing another case that has nothing to do with anything well, it's because just before this case goes in front of the judge. It's because he's a prosecutor. He's not a defense attorney. Yeah. So he's out there to, like, they can't put him on the side of the defendant. Yeah. Like, why Why not just make him a defense attorney? Well, there's two if you options. you want him to be a lawyer. You got two options. You either do the defense attorney option, which means... Oh, my client can't get justice and I'll have to get justice for them some other way. Mm. Or you do the prosecuting attorney, which is the system is corrupt and uh, it's letting people off the hook. And uh, that's generally not how that works. But mm. um, yeah, you had two options. They went with prosecuting attorney, but it's not even a case he has. It would be one thing if it was a case he had, but it's not. He just stumbles into it like anything. And so he's just like, oh, so uh, you're saying that uh, you're someone's trying to buy up all your land? And the guy's like, yeah. And then we cut to a big building mm. where everything is brown and wood paneled and shag carpeted. And there's a guy uh, and he's in. Okay, so all of a sudden in one room we finally have some real star power in this thing because we have in small supporting roles great character actor Jeffrey Lewis and who, who Philip Baker Hall oh it's Philip Baker Hall yeah the guy with the mustache the scientist oh I didn't even recognize him yeah it's Philip Baker Hall okay I thought you were as excited about this as I was I was wrong no it was just should have run that by scientific Scientist dude. Yeah, Philip Baker. Uh, no, you know who I did recognize, and I mm. forgot to mention this on our Dirty Dozen episode of oh. uh, episode zero, mm. but one of the just ancillary background soldiers was played by Mitchell's boss from the movie Mitchell. <laughs> I recognize that actor because he's got a That's good, like hilarious. a very good character actor kind didn't, of face. Didn't recognize Philip Baker Hall though. But I didn't recognize Philip Baker Hall. That's ironic. By the way, the director of Samurai directed like multiple 
TV movie sequels to the Dirty Dozen. It's really it's a little bit of synergy here yeah, at total the Critical Accident Network. Total Accident is just a very, very funny thing. Anyway, Philip Baker Hall plays... Uh, and by the way, this is actually like early in Philip Baker Hall's career. He did like a few minor roles and things in the 70s before he started getting bigger roles in the 80s. He, I don't know how old he is in this, but he already looks 40. Like he never, yeah, he, yeah. he wasn't like a teen actor or something. He, was, he <laughs> rose through the ranks and became. No, he got started filming TV kind of late. Um, but uh, he's they're doing a mysterious scheme with the scientist that'll be important later, and uh, then our businessman and Jeffrey Lewis and they're just like, so we're trying to buy up all of this land, but there's one warehouse that's holding out. The oldest plot in the book. So old, I have no idea where this plot first started. The <laughs> the evil, corrupt guy who's buying up all the land, but there's one building, mm. one family, one diner, one batteries not included, one up, who just refuses to sell, mm. and that's the whole plot of the movie. In fact, that was the plot of Gremlins too. Was it? Yeah, they wanted to buy the old man's shop, and he wouldn't sell. So they oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? And yeah. they just knocked over the building, and that's how Gizmo got out into the world. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's just a really <laughs> old, boring plot that has it's, been done a million times well, also, already. Also, it, it, it's... It's on. I, I don't know the actual facts, but it's on record that that actually happens. Oh, like, sure. You know, that's that's mobsters a thing. would chase people off their property, and like you see it in westerns too. Like once upon a time in the west is kind of based about this, where they're trying mm. to buy up all of this land because uh, the plan is to run a railroad through this land. Mm. So right now, the land is worth nothing, but in like six months, it'll be worth like a million dollars back in the old west. Yeah. So they're trying to shoot people off their land now to make money. It, it's an old, old, old trope. And so it's like, it's so old and so hackneyed, I don't even know if we question it. I would be very fascinated to try to find the first instance of this trope. Because it's got to go way <laughs> like the in, fuck like back. Like in fiction. It's got to go way back. So uh, the whole thing is they're just trying to muscle this guy off of his uh, land. They've tried buying it. He doesn't want to. They tried upping the money. He doesn't want to. They, they tried arson. That didn't work. Yeah, so they're going to try arson again. So our samurai lawyer is asking around. He befriends a young ragamuffin who surely won't be endangered later in the movie. And... Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this. The scene where he's communicating with the kid, he's not more natural than in any other scene in this. He's just sort of having a conversation with a kid. He's really yeah. laid back. Hey, kid, you want to watch my car? Okay, yeah. It's like, can we just have like 15 minutes of a conversation? So, what's your... You like bomb yeah. pops? No, I like, I like at least like bomb I will actually say this. The kid... I, forget, I don't know who plays the kid. I'm mm. going to maybe see if I can figure this out. Uh, the kid actor in this, oftentimes when you're watching like an action movie or something, and there's a kid, like a street kid, who's just like, Hey, you want to pay me to wash your car, mister? And like, you know, they've got like street smarts. And, yeah. like, they're going to, like, try to get involved and solve the mystery. But, of course, they have to be rescued or some shit. 99 times out of 100, I hate that character. No disrespect <laughs> to the kid actors. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. Whatever. They're kid actors. I'm not going to hold it against them. But that character usually feels either really contrived or, like, a really, like, embarrassingly forthright attempt to try to get kids involved. And I'm like, he's a samurai. We're interested. Like, we don't need kid <laughs> like we're interested in samurai stuff it's cool so anyway um looks like uh, the character of tommy was played by uh shane sinutko who even as an adult looks like that <laughs> um looks like the last time he was in a movie was in the the born supremacy 
No, no kidding. No kidding. A small role in Born Supremacy. Good for him. Um, looks like he played a lot of kid roles in the 70s. Oh, he was in the Shaggy DA. Good for him. Um, so uh, he's investigating around. He's asking around. Turns out the guys like who like got off on a like drunken disorderly trespassing charge, mm-hmm. they don't even drink. <laughs> Everyone knows that those guys don't drink. So he knows something is up. And it is, because they go back and they arson the place, and the kid sees them arson around. Oh, William. Oh. Oh, Snap. No. You are welcome. Sir. Oh, God. You're fired. You are welcome. I took that joke from Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, but it works here. (laughs) It's such a good joke. I had to use it again. Um... But uh, so the kid sees them, my, and he like goes my, into the my heart. <laughs> the kid sees them, he breaks into the warehouse, to see what they're up to. Of course, they're up to <clears throat> arson, and the kid gets trapped in there. And he's not burned alive, but he has a lot of smoke inhalation, and he's like stuck in a hospital. And at this point, uh, samurai lawyer who is kind of romancing the warehouse owner's daughter, even though we know he has a girlfriend, <laughs> and they're like going to the opera and shit, and that's never mentioned again after one scene. Um, he, she'll, she'll be written into future stories And like they're actually I, I will appreciate appreciate that they try to go through the legal route And they like sign petitions to save the lands That they don't have to sell And they can protect it or whatever Like, But in the end yeah they just gotta attack everybody And now he's gotta become a samurai mm-hmm. On the sly a Samurai <laughs> on the sly is also a better title Damn it <laughs> They picked the most boring title for this damn Just show. call it Samurai Private Eye Ooh well, he's not a private eye. Or samurai P.I. He's not a P.I. Sam, uh, it's not, those aren't two hold different on, hold things. On. I'm trying to come up with a good like lawyer samurai pun. Okay. Um, samurai yeah. attorney. No, oh, that's stupid. Samurai legal clerk. <laughs> samurai. Okay, we're done. Um, pa- para samurai. No. Yeah. Um, and by the so at this point, as I said, this is one where he starts like suiting up, becoming a samurai. He doesn't like mask his face or anything he just wears like a bandana Mm. and uh yeah he starts fighting people we're like two-thirds of the way through this pilot the vast majority of everything we've seen so far except for the obviously tacked on bit at the beginning Mm. is any boring normal legal show of the era he's a he's a heroic hero he's rich He's sexy? I don't, I don't see it, but like maybe at the time that was a good look. His hair looks terrible. He looks like he, looks like he has John Cazale's hair yeah, was, from was, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. I was going to say, he's like a hot John Cazale. Well, I think John Cazale's hotter, but whatever. Oh, uh, John Cazale has personality. Not, not so much for Samurai. He, he, has, he has a huge amount of talent, that's for sure. Oh, John Cazale. John Cazale, if you're not familiar with John Cazale, he, um, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Cazale or Cazale. Um, John Cazale. Okay. Um, he had a very short career in cinema. Every single movie he starred in is a classic. Yeah. He was in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. He was in The Godfather Part 2. He was in Dog Day Afternoon. And he was in The Deer Hunter. And The Conversation. And The Conversation. Holy shit. That's like all he did. He died mm-hmm. way too young. But like, holy shit. That's incredible run. Like mm. everything he touched turned to gold. And that and that was it. That was it for him. Yeah. One of the best actors who ever lived had a very short run. People do not talk about him enough. And you've probably already seen at least some of his movies. He's incredible. Um so yeah, the show's been spinning its wheels. And this, frankly, is par for the course for what I have taken to calling the shag carpet superhero era. 
<laughs> where there's this period in the 70s, and we've talked about some of these shows before. We You're thinking of Captain America, aren't you? Specifically the Captain America TV movies, but also the Doctor Strange failed pilot that we reviewed a yeah. long time ago now, where we know people want superhero stuff. It's a superhero show. A, we will not have the superhero do anything cool or fight cool bad guys. Maybe they're played by cool people, but their plans are boring. Their plans are, oh well, no, I think we're the, gonna uh, blow up a van. Yeah, the, the idea, well, well, first of all, they didn't have much of a budget. Sure. Because uh, the audience wasn't huge in the 1970s. I can handle that, that's that fine. Uh, yeah, in order to make it sort of, it, even remotely approaching accuracy, they would have to pour a huge amount of money. Mm. And at the time... Only little kids would watch a show like that, and that's not a big enough audience to warrant that kind of budget. I grant you uh, that. But uh, I also think that a lot of the point, and this is true of uh, Samurai Lawyer as well, mm-hmm. they want to bring them down to earth a little bit. Try to yeah. like make the bid for a kind of dramatic realism. So they're they're looking to like push a, a fantasy conceit. Uh-huh. You know, lawyer by day, samurai by night. That's that's a pulp comic book kind of conceit. It is. But they're trying to sell it to a really kind of laid back, possibly even stoned adult audience. Yeah. And as such, they're taking away all of the silliness and all of the thrills that would make you want to tune into something like this. Now, there are some exceptions to this. I, I haven't seen all of uh, the 1970s Wonder Woman TV series. Like the one that lasted, not the two failed Wonder Woman pilots from the 70s. Mm-hmm. But there was only there was one failed pilot from the '60s, one failed pilot from the '70s, and one failed pilot from the 2000s. Mm. But um, the failed pilot from the 1970s sucks. Uh, the actual show, what I've seen of it, is actually very light and spry, and has a lot of really imaginative stuff in it, and it's pretty good. Mm. Uh, Incredible Hulk was any; it was basically just a ripoff of The Fugitive, except occasionally The Fugitive turned into Lou Ferrigno. Right. But that's what basically they're trying to do is they're just trying to like, we don't actually want to do a superhero show. I understand there are budgetary limitations. Mm. I do think you could have more fun with it than you're having. Also, grownups didn't care at the time. I know. And I'm not saying I want it to be like really broad and campy. Batman the series, by the way, had been a huge hit. Mm -hmm. I was surprised there weren't more knockoffs of that. Like actually trying to both do the source material and have fun with it, as opposed to just make fun of superheroes, which is what it seemed like a lot of the knockoffs of the era were doing. Green Hornet notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it seems like all they were trying to do is, we're just going to do the same shit we always do, and then for one scene, there's going to be a superhero thing. Mm. And you'll see this in Manimal. Like, almost any movie episode of Manimal doesn't fucking matter that he can turn into a monster. Like, he doesn't, like, he can turn into a puma or a hawk or whatever. There's, like, two scenes where that's relevant in a typical episode of Manimal, and almost always those scenes could have been handled any other normal way. Yeah, they're, they're not yeah. stretching themselves. They're not trying well, to meet notice, the material. They're trying to yeah. take the usual shtick and just throw in like one fun dumb thing. Well, you'll notice that. Uh, I mean, we have to tell human story. Well, I guess we don't have to, but well, the, the, that doesn't uh, preclude having fun. The, a, a bit of the mandate was to tell these human stories, and you know, oh no, there's like bad guys invading, and of course, well, a SWAT team could take care of that, but we only have one manimal, so we'll take care of it that way. Yeah. And we even see that in modern superhero films. What did the Avengers do that, like, a bunch of Harrier jets couldn't have? You're just shooting bad guys down out of the sky. You get just the military involved, and they could do that. Well, Loki could, like, take over the minds of the military guys. Yeah, one at a time, maybe. He could do that with the Avengers, too. So what? He does. Look, I got nothing, okay? Doesn't doesn't he take over? And all all you got to do to be un... 
hypnotized. It's just hit your head really hard. It's sitcom logic. It is sitcom logic. Yeah. I do love that about Avenger. <laughs> listen, listen. Oh no, I, I bonked my head. I'm unhypnotized. I'm not going to fight you too hard on this, but actually, that's kind of my point. Mm. The only difference is, are you trying to actually lean into your premise? Yeah. The Avengers did lean into their premise. Something like Samurai leans pretty far away from the premise as though they're a lawyer show and they're kind of ashamed of the other bit. So he dresses up as a lawyer. There's there's like two cool like superhero sequences in this. And by and cool is very relative by the way, but here's what they do. Uh he goes to the he beats up all like the arsonists. Mm. Fine. Uh then he goes to the like skyscraper office building of the bad guys. And he like the lights don't turn on in the guy's office and he's just like I'm here in the shadows. You have to stop doing what you're doing. I know what you're doing. And the guy is just like, yeah, I'm going to turn the lights on. And he turns the lights on and the samurai is standing right next to him, like one foot away. And I'm like, you met that guy. (laughs) That's a lawyer who is looking into your shady shenanigans. You would remember his face. You literally took a picture of him and made an ID card earlier in the episode when he visited your building. You know exactly what that guy looks like. And he's not even wearing a domino mask or something. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's just that lawyer. And I have no idea who it is. And I'm like, you're not even trying like, at least let him wear glasses or something. Some distraction on his face. Something, anything. But we're not doing that. Anyway, so he does this whole, like, thing where he, like, climbs up and down elevators and evades them. And then uh, jumps out a window and rappels onto another building. Which is not uncool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, uh, even though it seems like everything's going to be okay. And the petition worked well. And the bad guys are a little rattled. Uh, it turns out that the, one of the big things that they wanted to do with all of this land... Uh, was to use, and we have not mentioned this before in the film. They mention it in the commercial that we heard at the beginning of this podcast because that's the selling point. Mm-hmm. They don't mention it until like the last 15 minutes of the film that uh, the whole scheme with Philip Baker Hall, which goes unmentioned for like an hour, he's building an earthquake machine <laughs> that can make earthquakes <laughs> using sonics and laser. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. A, I think the TV show Arrow ripped you off because that was the plot of the first season of Arrow. Well, also, I love that. I love that. That's also the show is set in San Francisco. How fucking tasteless is that? I know San Francisco had one of the most epic, horrifying earthquakes Mm. in, I mean, at least American history. Like it was huge and it was harrowing. And yeah, it was crazy. And yeah, so that's pretty fucked up. I will say this. I'm watching this and I'm looking at Philip Baker Hall and I know he's a minor character in the show Mm. and he could very well just be inventing an earthquake machine for evil. Remember that episode of the Simpsons where grandpa Simpson like inherited money and he wanted to like invest in something positive Mm. and professor Frank comes in with a death ray and he's like, what is this is evil. Why would I want this? And he's like, you're right. This would only have evil applications. (laughs) What was I thinking? (laughs) It's uh, kind of like that, except... reminds me of a Charles Adams comic strip. Oh, yeah? It's in a patent office, and two guys are standing by the window. Or the, the patent clerk is holding a death ray. He's pointing out the window. And he says, death ray fiddlesticks. It barely slows them up. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting people out the window. That's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I will say this. Philip Baker Hall actually has an okay reason to invent this. It's not an amazing reason, and mm. clearly it's one of those things that could easily be weaponized by evil governments or whatever, yeah. but... 
the principle behind why he wants to invent this is not entirely unsound. And the reason is is very, very simple. Um, so California is on a series of tectonic plates. Mm-hmm. And earthquakes happen when pressure builds up amongst these plates as they're pushing up against each other. And then finally, they just have to move. Every small earthquake that we have in California on one of these plates, mm-hmm. u- usually, has the effect of alleviating pressure so that there won't be a giant earthquake later. So the idea is we can focus on giant tectonic plates that haven't moved in a long time and in very focused ways in very isolated places we can release a tiny bit of pressure thus preventing greater disaster later Mm. i have heard way worse sci-fi ideas like way worse ideas like they actually at least had a thought in their head it's like i I wonder if that was a note it's just like why would they invent this come up with a reason because it's only one line Mm. but i appreciated that it was there thank you samurai for letting us laugh about love. Again. <laughs> Is that Neil Simon that's that's the quote from? You know what? I don't know. I've only ever heard like other people making fun of it. There was an old joke on MST3K that they went through over and over mm. again. Thank you, Tommy Kirk, for letting Let us, us laugh, laugh about, about love. love. Again. again. I feel like that was like some like trailer or something for a Neil Simon thing. If anyone knows where that's from, like what the original reference is, I would love to hear it. Because I've never tracked that one down. And it's, it's been driving me nuts for like 30 years, 30 years. Yeah. I just, <laughs> sometimes the passage of time is fucked up. Um, anyway, so they're going to do this earthquake thing and Jeffrey Lewis, who's just a little more evil mm. than everyone else gets real excited about it. And he's going to put the earthquake thing underneath the warehouse and it totally fucks up the warehouse and the samurai, uh, goes in, fucks some guys up and then he takes the earthquake machine and it, in a massively irresponsible way to put, takes the van with the earthquake machine in it drives it through the wall of this skyscraper in a pretty cool stunt mm. and then just turns it on under a skyscraper he doesn't know how that thing works he doesn't know if he's like cranking that thing up so high the skyscraper is going to fall over I know it's at night but they're still going to have like people working late and janitorial staff people are going to die and, like, that thing could fall over. That thing could cascade. For all he knows, that's going to set off another earthquake. It's one of the most irresponsible things I've ever seen a superhero do. And I've seen the Zack Snyder movies. Hey-oh! You, you just... No? Oh, okay. It was I'm, right there. Um, yeah, and you stepped right in it, didn't well, you? Man, man of Steel is an irresponsible thing. Okay, anyway. No, you're right. I, I agree with that. Batman brands people knowing it will get them murdered in prison. That's... Not responsible behavior. I think we can agree on that. You know what? Here's here's the Batman film I want to see. He just kills everybody. <laughs> He's just a serial killer. Just a serial killer. Why yeah, not? It's like how and and you know what? And here's the thing. Gotham, totally crime free. Oh, that's, I know that's a good message. No, of course it's not a good message. Batman's not a good message. Well, that's true. It's a bad use of resources, and he's also a sociopath. Why not just make him a serial killer? Go that tiny extra hair. Anyway, um. Anyway, sorry, I know some people like those movies. The joke was right there. I couldn't resist it. Um, and uh, so, But the bad guys are like, oh, no, there was a big earthquake. And I love how the bad guy... First off, like the bad guy who runs this corporation is behind all this evil shit. When the cops show up after the earthquake, he wants them to apprehend whoever did this to his building. Hmm. A, there's two possibilities. It's either an earthquake and no one did it, 
or it's your earthquake machine and investigating this would put you in more trouble than anyone else. What the fuck are you thinking? B, shut up. <laughs> this is dumb as hell. And then, of course, a samurai guy shows in. Of course, now he's in his lawyer garb. And he's like, hey, I was just, like, searching around their stuff without a warrant. And I found all of these files that prove they did all these criminal things. And the cops are like, all right, I guess, um... Fuck it, let's do our job today. Yeah, we'll arrest some rich guys. And then they did. And then the guy's just like, I don't know if we need a samurai all the time. And his like, his sensei is like, Yeah, we need a sense. We need we need a we need a samurai. And like he's like, Oh, okay. And then there's like a voiceover that's just like, and wherever injustice, something, 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 samurai. And then <laughs> and then there's credits, and that's the fucking movie slash pilot. Samurai what, is dumb. What was it about seventies TV? It was just so boring. Like, I don't know, man. There's some now, th- exceptions. This, this There's some exceptions, but man, this isn't nearly as dull as the Doctor Strange TV movie we oh saw, my God, where, where not a damn thing happens uh, in that whole thing. Towards the end, it gets a little psychedelic, but it's like not mm. worth it to get like to that if, five interesting when, minutes. Even when they're in like hell dimension and yeah. talking to like ancient deities and stuff, it's still what is happening in this? I don't care. No, it's so do something. Boring. They're just standing still and having long it's conversations. So the only person who's having fun of that movie is Jessica Walter. Yeah, and she is, but god damn it! So this this one at least has a little bit more of you know plot, a little bit more going on, but yeah, doesn't have much of a plot. It's not very complicated. No, it's it's, it's, it's not, alarmingly not straightforward, and it never like there's never like it would make sense if he had to suit up as a samurai to fight other people who had similar talents, or, but these are just a bunch of random yeah. dudes and and like office drones and shit and it just feels like fighting fire with a flamethrower also he doesn't do samurai things like you've mentioned the scene where he just sort of appears out of the darkness that's ninja stuff yeah they really got confused samurai aren't about stealth they are armored warriors that wander the countryside on behalf of the of royalty or some aristocrat getting into duels and stuff yeah uh, it would I mean, that's, more... a, that's, a, that's a gross oversimplification. Well, of but, course it but is. It, but my point is that it's very different from Ninja. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the point is, if if he were to do that, if he were like to put on his samurai garb and step forward with his face showing and, you know, in the outfit saying, I challenge you to a duel for the sake of honor, uh-huh. that would make more sense. That's more what Kung Fu is about. I will not yeah. fight you. I will not fight you. It's on, 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 more honorable not to fight you. Okay, I'll fight you. Yeah. Every uh, single episode. It, it doesn't understand what a samurai is or nope. what they do, and he never uses any kind of well, skill. He really, uses, he does some samurai sword stuff, or like cut off doorknobs and things. Oh yeah, how noble! I'm not saying it's noble, <laughs> but at the very least, it's kind of stuff. He uses his sword the way an ordinary person would use a hammer, or a doorknob. Or a door, just, I don't even think he tests the doorknob. <laughs> he just hits it with the sword. I'm like, he didn't try it first. Like. Also, if you know anything about swords, you know you don't cut doorknobs with them. It's a great way to wreck your sword. Yeah, like you don't, you're not supposed to hack away at everything with it mm. all the time. Swords aren't designed to last that long. Well, also, samurai swords are designed to cut through meat. They're designed to cut through like flesh and stuff. They're not designed to cut through wood. They're not for sparring. It's not like a fencing sword. Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, you're supposed if you if you see a good samurai movie, like, uh, what's the best, sa- like, the best samurai duel? Well, the very best samurai duel is the end of Sanjuro, which is oh, over yeah, in a yeah. split second. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and we get to see that in uh, in Seven Samurai as well. Yeah. Where they just, you step forward, you take one stroke, and that's supposed to be the end of it. Yeah, you're supposed to hit them once, and then they're dead. You're mm-hmm. not supposed to like go ting, ting, ting. That's mm-hmm. not what it's about. And yeah, in fact, a lot of samurai movies, in order to sort of up the ante, it's not about just dueling one guy for a long time like you do in an American movie or even mm-hmm. like quite a few Chinese films. Um, it's about fighting a bunch of guys. Yeah. How- how and many then, how many strokes? How many people can you kill with that many strokes? Yeah, like, like six people. Okay, six. Yeah, Zatoichi's versus yeah. six people, or Lone Wolf and Cub versus an entire army. Mm. That's the way a samurai thing sort of works. But the thing is, is that Americans didn't even understand how any of that worked, and they mm. didn't for a really long time. And in many respects, they still don't. Mm. And there are like American like martial arts action sequences made by American directors mm. that just don't understand mm. how to film it, how to stage it. It's brutal. Oh my god, Whitney found it already. It's from the Goodbye Girl. It's from the po it was the tagline for the Goodbye Girl. Thank you, Neil Simon. Okay. For making us laugh about falling in love, ellipsis. Again. The Goodbye Girl, nineteen seventy seven. I'm so sorry to everyone who tweeted us already. You probably Mm. already knew. (laughs) Um, my rule with this podcast basically is uh, wait until the end of the podcast to tweet us about something we did wrong because sometimes like while we're talking correct ourselves. We're we're checking or it's bugging us and we'll come back. Um Anyway, that's Samurai. Uh, if Samurai had lasted 100 episodes, I'd have been very surprised. But, I mean, look, he'd do lawyer stuff and then be a samurai for two minutes at the mm. end. And then there'd be, like, the usual hackneyed mm. episodes. There'd be, like, one with, like, the, a wild you know child who grew up in the woods and, like, a bunch of, like, <laughs> a bunch of bad ch- guys are trying yeah. to stop them because the wild child's actually, like, going to inherit a lot of money otherwise. Uh, there'd be a computer hacking episode oh, yeah. in the 70s, like, oh, we have these new floppy disks, and that lets us get into banks. We had a little bit of that here, actually, where he, like, keeps going to this one nerdy guy with a computer. Oh, yeah, And, yeah. like, he gives him there'd information be a, there'd be a going whole, down a computer. a whole computer episode. Yeah. Uh, there would be no supernatural elements. He would never no. like fight a werewolf there, or anything. There might be one episode where it seems like there might be, but it would actually turn out to be like a guy in a werewolf costume trying to scare people yeah. off the land. Um, there would there'd be a rival samurai in from out of town. Who I don't was know. hired by the mob or something. I don't buy that at all. That's too cool for this. They're not gonna. Oh, yeah. They're not gonna get like a cool sword fight out of this. They're not gonna get Shokasugi to come in and be awesome. <laughs> I kept expecting to see Shokasugi's name in the credits. Sadly, no Shokasugi. Yeah. Shokasugi, who was in the aforementioned ninja films. Yep, and uh, who was in the Lee Van Cleef uh, series Master Ninja, and also played a character on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Awesome Sh- figure. Shokosugi is amazing. Awesome uh, figure in, a, no, in I, cinema I, history. Like he, he did a lot of trash, Shokosugi. Sure. But uh, but he did it, and he was good at he it. He did it. He was a very talented martial artist. Uh, no, I, I didn't expect like Shokosugi. It would be like another white guy. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. Um, another... But uh, I was hoping, like when the opening credits came up, I would mm-hmm. see Shokosugi's name. I did not. Um, and there, uh, uh, There'd be a there? romance episode mm, well, where yeah. like it would just be about like, a date is interrupted and he has to go do samurai stuff and then we forget about the, the female lead again. Well, we forget about female lead every episode. Um, He's got to like keep having romances. Um, well, the, the sensei is kidnapped in one episode. Oh, you got to do that. You got to mm. do that. You're going to have an episode with some kind of hip young band that he has to like follow <laughs> around town because they're it's, being... It's, but a, not an actually good band, like say, a made-up band. This isn't quite like, uh, like Hanna-Barbera territory no no this is like beyond westworld territory where renee yeah. aubergenois is gonna show up as power <laughs> mm. to like oh wouldn't that be great if he played the same character 
and Samurai <laughs> and Beyond Westworld. Creating a Samurai Beyond Westworld shared universe. <laughs> um, yeah, we'd see all the same episodes over and over and over again. Like they're oh, very... how, how many episodes before he has a van? When, when did, when he has a van we... in this one. He does drive a van he in drives a, So the, the Samurai Mobile. Yeah, with shag carpet in it, because of course it is. On the uh, walls, no less. Shag carpet superhero stories just drive me up the wall, man. They're just It's, it's the worst you need to version write, of superhero Now you need to write a, a screenplay called The Shag Carpet Superhero. It feels it's... like a book. It feels like I should write a book about 1970s superhero stuff. <laughs> like, but like the bad adaptations. Like, <laughs> Oh God! Would people like actually I've, read that? Do I actually have to write that book no. now? Oh, I, I I've said this before. I have no problem with uh, wildly inaccurate adaptations if the sure. end product is fine. Exactly. Uh, a lot of the the comic book nerds didn't really give a care that uh, they changed the origin stories of certain characters because they just the, what we got was fine. And sometimes it's better, like mm. uh, Batman Returns. Mm. This is a really good origin for the penguin. I made the penguin just from like erudite guy with a monocle and actually made him like an interesting kind of like alternate a, version of Bruce like a, Wayne. Like that was cool. Uh, yeah. A, a child yeah. of privilege who was abandoned because he was the monstrous. Yeah. Thing. Kind of monstrous yeah. looking and grew up in a sewer with a bunch of clowns. Yeah. I mean, it's dark, but it was, a, it was cool. And like it stuck for around for a while. That was the version we had of the animated series for a long time. Batman Returns is so good. It's Batman one of my, Returns is great. Well, I think it might be my second favorite Batman movie. After the 66 version It's right up there for me I'm not yeah. gonna lie Like it's One, two, or three Depending <laughs> on what day it is um, But yeah You can play And you can have fun with it My problem with The Shag Carpet Superhero stuff Is that they're not Having fun with it mm. It looks like The superhero stuff Is getting in the way Of their boring day job Making the same TV episodes Over And over and over again and then mm. like one guy comes in on like day 12 of shooting hey i'm here to do the samurai stuff i'm like oh we were gonna shoot a dinner scene for a whole day but fine and there's gonna be we'll a do lot some samurai stuff here's another thing that bugs me about a lot of shows from this year there would always be like a love interest mm-hmm. or a, a like a girlfriend character because the the lead was always a white guy there was always like a girlfriend character it was never like a, a female lead with like a boyfriend character on the side that we barely ever see it was always oh, yeah. the other way around yeah yeah, yeah. uh just because systemic sexism and uh sure there would always be a lot of like it's not even innuendo i'm not even sure what to call it like what's some what's the the thing that is right in between casual conversation but before you get to like legit innuendo like flirting yeah, just like you're just talking about flirting, light flirting. Yeah, which they would put in place of like something a little bit hotter and heavier, and that's about as far as it would go. There would wouldn't be any actual sex. No, not usually. Uh, or if there was, It'd it was be like, like kind of applied, of, yeah, like, yeah. like tastefully eschewed. They they never yeah. like actually had a a big kiss scene. I guess that was seen as too corny at the time. Yeah, I mean, usually, usually what would happen in an action show is there would be some light flirting and maybe an awkward will they or won't they moment that gets interrupted by someone, a child actor, a boss, mm, phone, something. Phone rings, whatever Action, is, yeah. something. And then at the end of the episode, they have one chaste kiss and then, and I will never see you again because I must go onto the road and fight more bad guys in little towns all across America who are no doubt just waiting for me to kick their butts. It always times out very well. Yes, it does. I get there, and the bad guys are just enacting the final phase of their big land-snatching scheme or whatever it is. 
I got to get one of them land snatching schemes. Those those always go well, right? There's never a, a gaggle of kooky kids and a talking dog who get in the way of that. Samurai should have had a talking dog. I think that would have improved everything. <laughs> no show cannot be improved without the addition of a talking dog. I think it's fair to say that the Samurai- wire talking dog, <laughs> Law and Order talking dog. Well, definitely Law and Order and dog. Yeah, dog and order. Uh, was Samurai canceled too soon? And I want you to wait and think about it for a second. Okay. No. <laughs> No, no. I've been thinking about no. it this whole time. No, no. Uh, the, no. There's, yeah, we know the way this would have gone, and it would have gone down just a really boring path, and would have failed after a single season anyway. Yep. Uh, there's, there's nothing here that can make a good, exciting, interesting show. Even the premise is kind of boring. No, like uh, the, the idea of like <clears throat> a samurai as a vigilante. Okay, fine. Well, let's just run with that for a second. Mm-hmm. Even that's not interesting enough. You need to make sure if you're going to have a premise that broad, mm. you need to have the world meet that broad concept a little bit in the middle. Mm. So you need to have kind of broader villains mm. in order to justify why your hero is being so outlandish. Mm. A lot of the other like sort of like Night Rider got weird sometimes, you mm. know, or like but. The idea for a show like this is if the premise is our hero is a blank, but he's also a blank. Mm. We want to be able to think to ourselves, oh, what what would what would he do in this situation? And I've heard so many times where people would say, like, what would Batman do or what would Mm. MacGyver do? You know, and you never say, what would the guy from the 1979 failed pilot for Samurai do? Mm. And the reason why is he would do a bunch of boring lawyer stuff and then occasionally like bump something with a sword <laughs> because it's not an interesting like modus operandi. It's mm. like he doesn't have an interesting motivation. He's just doing the usual shtick and it's boring. Mm. It's a boring show. Um, darn it. Well, I hope my own worst enemy is better because we're doing that next week. And then after that, (laughs) after that, we're doing something we've been meaning to do for a while. Mm -hmm. um, And we might have to fudge our rules a little bit in order to do it because uh, not every uh, place in the world has uh, the same sort of uh, setups for how television works. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do believe we've tracked down that there are enough uh, shows that were ostensibly, for the sake of argument, canceled after one season or less uh that are uh anime Mm. so we've been wanting to do an anime month for a while we think we have a list of shows that we can do pretty safely one of them is actually even sponsored by one of our patrons um so we're going to do an anime month right after my own worst enemy and i'm very very excited to do that Mm. uh over at our patreon patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network people at our top tier can sponsor episodes of the show we just released one this week for wallace and gromit curse of the were rabbit they're not all guaranteed to be released on the main feed some of them are patreon exclusive they can also be set to just private they can be made just for you you never have to share them with anybody um but that's one thing we do we also have a ton of other exclusive shows including not on disney plus where we talk about tv shows or or, sorry movies in particular that should be on disney plus but for some reason are not Mm -hmm. uh we have uh, only the best where we review every single film ever nominated for best picture we have all our yesterdays where we review every single uh, uh episode of star trek in production order and we have out of gas the firefly podcast where we review every single firefly and we're not limiting ourselves to the tv show we're also going to do the comics and we're taking a bit of a break as we acquire all those comics and we're going to move on uh in that series pretty soon 
So, um, and of course, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Very special shout out and thank you to all of our patrons who make this show possible. Very, very grateful to you. And uh, we hope every single one of you is staying safe, sane, healthy. It's a weird era in which we are currently living. And uh, just wear your masks, social distancing, be safe. We're not mm. out of the woods yet, but we can get there if we work together. So, uh, Whitney, and, anything else? Well, just in the meantime, we're here for you, and thank you for listening. We yeah. appreciate your presence uh, in our lives. Uh, we like hearing from you, we like talking to you, and we like providing all of this for you. It's actually... Uh, we're, we're, we may be mutually helping each other with this scenario. So thanks yeah. for being here for us as yeah. well. Being able to produce content for you fine people um, gives us kind of purpose right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. While a lot yeah. of the other things that we had been pursuing in our careers and our lives uh, basically just died out this year for <laughs> reasons outside of most people's control. So, um, yeah, really, so, yeah, really so means a lot th- to have your support. Th- thank you for for lending your ears to yeah. us rambling kind of aimlessly about a really dull samurai show from the 1970s. (laughs) Yeah, whether you're contributing financially via Patreon, in which case a very special thank you, or whether you're just listening, subscribing, um, we're intensely grateful to you, and we hope that you're taking care of yourselves and that uh, hopefully we can help a little bit by entertaining you now and then. Mm -hmm. So thank you, everybody, once again, and that is a wrap. We'll see you next season. (laughs) 